Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on, and even with the start of the 2020 Formula 1 season continuing to be pushed back, there's still plenty for us to talk about. One of the big stories in F1 right now is whether or not Max Verstappen will have the machinery to fight for the World Championship when this year does finally get going. But why is everyone so confident he's a title winner given the right machinery? I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me for a deep dive into all things Verstappen are Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. So, Mark... Uh, what have you been doing to get your your motorsport fixed during this period of confinement? <laughs> um, mainly writing about it, um, but yeah, also just uh, watching old videos. I, lo- I love uh, Can-Am from the late 60s, early 70s. That's a big thing of mine at the minute. I'm going through phases. So, yeah, stuck inside. I'm just watching old stuff like that and uh, digging out stuff to read. And, but, yeah, um, other than trying to recreate, Grand Prix on my bike when I I'm a, go out for my one allowed bike race, um, bike um, <laughs> cycle. <laughs> um, yeah, it not really had a, a fix as such. When you, when you go out on your bike, is it an old Riley chopper? Because I saw you uh, posted one of those on Twitter the other day. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big uh, a big thing on uh, rally choppers. Um, I was in a documentary on one actually, um, but no, I haven't got a chopper anymore. It's just <laughs> just just a normal road bike. Why were you in a documentary on one? This is this is a fantastic uh, yeah. si- uh, tangent. Yeah, if if you uh, go on YouTube and type in um, uh, "pedaling dreams," it's a history of rally, and the last sort of twenty minutes is all about the chopper. And um, I'm I'm interviewed on that about you know why why the chopper was such a fantastic bike because uh, I'd, I'd written something when the re- when the chopper was reintroduced a few years ago, ten years ago or something. I'd written something in a newspaper about the chopper, and I think somebody traced me from that. So, okay, there we go. Well, it's uh, that could be a good topic for a, for a, a tangential podcast at at, uh, at some point. The, you, uh... the the technique for being quick on a chopper is exactly the technique you need in racing cars. You need to get the weight on the front as you turn in; otherwise, you're just slow. <laughs> exactly. Well. Uh... Scott, you've got quite a lot to live up to now because uh, Mark has taken us down all sorts of uh, interesting cul-de-sacs with that. So, uh, so what what are you doing? Obviously, you're in Scotland as ever. I see. I can see uh, we're connected by uh, by uh, by computer, obviously by uh, by FaceTime. And I can see you're in a you're in a, a Swedish football shirt. Yeah, I'm in Swedish. I'm not. I'm not in Scotland, Ed. I'm in Sweden. Did I say Scotland? You did, yeah. It used to, it used to be the same before the con- continents parted. It used to be the same. Yeah, I was going with a Pangea, a Pangea yeah, interpretation. 
You've gone full Pangea there, Ed. Well done. Um, yeah, I am out in Sweden, not in uh, not in not in Scotland. Um, I've been uh, pretty much similar, looking back at um, so, some some older stuff to 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 get my fix. A mix of some retro uh, like retro videos and and DVDs and stuff online. And um, one of the things that I've uh, I've just done, which may be slightly misguided, is I've just spent quite a bit of money downloading a bunch of. Um, uh, reviews uh, from Duke um, so I'm now watching I've got all of the 1990 1990s British touring car seasons because I'm a bit of a super touring fanatic um, and I'm going to go and see what they've got like 70s and 80s wise from from F1 so I can actually I've, I've now finally got the time to properly relive those eras so this might be my opportunity to do so. Yeah, it's a great time to look back through some old stuff. I went through a bit of a phase of looking through 1930s Grand Prix racing because I, I just read uh, Richard Williams' excellent new book about uh, about Dick Seaman, the, the Mercedes driver of the of the 30s who, who lost his life just before the uh, the Second World War broke out at, uh, at Spa and... Uh, there's not so much footage, but it's just a fantastic era. That uh, the, mm. the, the Mercedes and Auto Unions, just just astonishing cars, great legendary drivers. You know what is what there is footage of, uh, as as had just been advertised by by Mark Hughes. There is footage of Mark Hughes talking about bikes on YouTube. I've I've I found it while while you two were speaking. Um, <laughs> I, I can see it on my screen now. So that's amazing. So if anyone thought that that was the weirdest bit of fronting from Mark, that he was just sort of making this this really bizarre li- and, and very niche lie up, I can I can confirm it is one hundred percent true. We'll know what happens when uh, when there comes a point where we read a story about in a, if this confinement goes on for a few more months, someone being uh, chased by police riding a Riley chopper around a park somewhere in the in the northwest. We'll we'll know we'll know who's cracked. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, enough enough antics. We shall get on with the matter at hand, which is Max Verstappen. Uh, to do this, we're going to try and break down his his abilities into various different categories, uh, just to make it a bit more manageable. To get a, an understanding of his strengths and weaknesses, some of the categories are a bit interconnected, inevitably, because uh, that's how being a Grand Prix driver works. But uh, we're going to try and break it down. So I think the obvious place to start. This is kind of the the prerequisite of any great Grand Prix driver is is speed. So. Mark, you know, basically here we're talking about single lap pace, qualifying pace, just two pole positions in Formula One for Max, but to be fair, limited by a car that has very rarely been a, a threat on Saturday. So how quick is he? Yeah, I mean, qualifying wasn't really the standout part of his game, even as he came through the junior categories, winning was. Um, but we're only talking about the last little shavings of putting a lap together at the critical moment. His raw, the underlying speed, the thing that was winning him those races was, and is, is fantastic. Um, as he's become more experienced and involved in the, the discipline of F1, um, and an F1 weekend, he's, he's been able to put all that together. So you say only two poles, he would argue three because of Mexico last year, but you could be the fastest driver of all time, which interestingly Jensen Button believes them to be. Not quite sure how JB's got the full list of candidates for that accolade, but but still. Um, and not, you, you not score any polls at all if you're not in a contending car. So, no, there's absolutely no question. This is one of the, the outright fastest drivers that we've ever seen. 
I do think it's it's a thing that's often misinterpreted about him because, as you refer to, when he came in with Toro Rosso in 15 alongside Carlos Sainz, it was the Sundays that really stood out. And I think people kind of have this sort of lazy shorthand. It's, oh, it's a young driver, therefore they're stunningly quick, but they don't put together the races quite so well. But yeah, that that seemed to be that thing, as you say, getting those last few shavings of uh, of qualifying that was the key bit. And I think actually it was probably his time alongside Daniel Ricciardo, who's a great qualifier, where he really kind of properly got on top of that didn't he because you saw him initially Ricardo was, was doing better and then you know 18 and, and 19 on average Verstappen was sort of a tenth and a bit ahead of, of Ricardo and we know how fast uh, Ricardo is so that that's that's kind of the, the trajectory he's been on what, what do you what do you make of him Scott yeah I think um I, I agree broadly that it, it's his ability on a on a on a Sunday and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more that, that stands him out on the 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 qualifying side, I watched quite a lot of um, Verstappen's onboards last year during qualifying, um, because obviously the, especially when Red Bull and Honda were not quite at the, the races, the, the focus tended to be on Mercedes or Ferrari if they were they happened to have their 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 act in order that particular weekend. So maybe Verstappen didn't quite get the airtime, especially in the first third of the season, and it was quite interesting. Um, it was a trait that did continue throughout the year. Max was was driving quite scrappily at times in qualifying, just never quite piecing it together exactly the way you wanted. I remember him getting caught out in, in Canada and um, at Suzuka where um, Alex Albon basically matched him. And that was a very good qualifying performance from, from Albon, one of probably his best one lap pace wise uh, in his Red Bull stint in the second half of the year. But Max wasn't very clean in on on his lap the hairpin and the chicane just those sort of crucial braking phases where he just didn't quite quite tie it all up and when he puts it together he's he's stunningly fast and I'm not saying here that he's a he's a messy qualifier or a bad qualifier or anything like that but there's it's just I, th- I wonder if it is that element of because he isn't constantly fighting for for poles because he's constantly he's been used to used to having to try and almost do the impossible and outperform his machinery in, in, in over one lap in the Red Bull Renault era, that he's just, it's just that little bit of, okay, well, the best I can do here is maybe Nick third or fourth and the worst I'm going to be is sixth. So I can afford to, you know, step over the line a little bit because the consequences aren't going to be that bad. And I wonder if, if Red Bull and Honda put it together to the point where he is fighting for poles more regularly, I suspect that he will start to refine that area of his game a little bit more. Yeah, and I think uh, we, we did see a few occasions where he's left potential poles on the table, shall we say. Mexico 18 is obviously one that, that stands out where he should have been on pole, although he made up for that uh, on, on race day. And you can even go back to Monaco that year where he had every chance of being on, on pole. He's been really quick at Monaco right from this sort of first pre- free practice session there for Toro Rosso. He was, he was, uh, he was quick, but because uh, he stuffed it in, uh, in FP3, he wasn't, he wasn't in the mix. But do you think that point is valid, Mark? That whole thing about... Um, yeah, if you're going to be P5 or P6 anyway, you might as well take a few more risks to try and get second row. You can go into qualifying with a bit more freedom. Um, the the uh, you know the last little shaving of discipline of absolutely mm, understanding everything to the nth degree because you know that the other guy is going to be on the other side of the garage is going to be taking pole from you, like the the, the challenge that Hamilton has had for the last few years, for example. Um, it's a, you go in, I guess, with a slightly different uh, attitude, as, as Scott says. Um, you know, you can you can be a bit more f- free, I guess, and sometimes that uh, that works. It allows you to 
pull the best from yourself just as an improvised way and uh, but sometimes it's it just means you're a little bit um a little bit untidy I think we'll um, we'll probably get into his sort of the temperament and management side of his game a little bit more separately but one thing that you mentioned there, Ed, about Monaco in 2018 when he really he really did biff it and messed up a big chance. Um, one one thing that I think that did teach him was that he is. It reminded him, I think, afterwards, especially once he had a heart to heart with his with his dad, Yoss. He is really quick. He doesn't need to go out and prove it in every single session. And I think we have seen in general, especially from that sort of late 2017 to early 2018 sort of period in Max's rebel career we have seen as a general rule him become a lot better at managing those sessions and just making sure that he peaks at the right moment rather than going out and having that sort of I guess slightly youthful exuberance of just wanting to go out and nail it all the time you know a Grand Prix weekend is a big process you've got to make sure you 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 peak at the right time and, and Verstappen has got better at that just because there were mistakes last year that doesn't mean that he's still this um, sort of reckless qualifier or, or anything like that he he has definitely improved but I do I just think there is more for him to find yeah certainly there's, there's no doubt Verstappen's a quick driver although as he's only 22 still there's probably still a little bit more to come in terms of uh, of nailing that uh, uh, nailing it on Saturdays consistently but It'll be different when we see him in a, a consistent pole contending car, I think. And I think he'll be ready for that uh, that challenge. Let's move on to racecraft, Scott. Now, this is kind of the ability to execute a race well, as well as the whole wheel-to-wheel aspect, uh, aspect of it. Now, looking at what was happening in races, Max had a shaky phase at this first part of 2018. He recovered from that and avoided the risk of becoming a bit of a high-class Pastor Maldonado. And of course, that Monaco shunt was part of that, although that wasn't in, in, a, in a race. So uh, how far do we think he's come in terms of putting a lot together? We know he was a strong race driver from the off, but he has just become more and more formidable in this aspect, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I, I think when you look at sort of a driver that is capable of going out there and absolutely maximising an opportunity on Sunday, he's up there with he's up there with Lewis, I think, for that. Because one of the things that obviously Hamilton has, it, it's crazy that Max is only 22, considering how long it feels like he's been around and how many Grand Prix he's actually competed in. But he still doesn't have anything like the experience that, that Hamilton has. And you, you just see it the way Hamilton's able, able to overcome pace deficits and, and that sort of thing. But Verstappen is getting there because... We've just seen him. He does. He doesn't have that many races under his belt where he has had the opportunity to to win the Grand Prix. And the way he has been able to do it, or the way that he's been able to, for example, in Hungary last year, sort of come close to winning it and requiring a real bit of brilliance from from someone like Hamilton to actually overcome it. I think Max has just gone from strength to strength. His his tire management was something in. The, the Toro Rosso years that they worked really, really hard on. And as he's become more mature and more experienced and I think stopped maybe panicking in race situations, he's just become a lot more measured in the way he does it. That doesn't mean that he's lost his... That doesn't mean that he's lost his um, his raw speed or that sort of aggressiveness. And I think Christian Horner said has said on more than one occasion, when you look in your mirrors and you see you've got Verstappen behind you, you know he's going to try something. He's not going to stay there for long. And is kind of the opposite of a driver like, shall we say, Kimi Raikkonen or Valtteri Bottas. When he gets in, when they get into a position where they write, they need to really hustle it now, and they need to be the ones to make the difference. I just don't really see them having the the, the dynamic nature or the creativity to get something done. Verstappen's more in a Hamilton or Ricardo mould there for me. Yeah, and I think um, 
when it comes to that ability to execute races, you mentioned the tyre management thing at Rosso. I think that was born out immediately when he was promoted. If you think back to the 16 Spanish Grand Prix, his first race for Red Bull when he won, which was uh, a, a strategy that was based on doing one less stop than uh, than Ricardo, and we were all thinking, oh, will he have the management ability and the tyre life to to get to the to the end of the end of the race? And, and he did. And I think that mark has kind of shows how that ability to bring everything together on the on the the Saturday certainly in, uh, on the Sunday rather certainly in terms of just approaching the race sensibly and bringing in these other more three-dimensional aspects has, has always been there so and that's only going to have got stronger over the years and it was pretty damn good probably better than the majority of drivers immediately yeah I mean that um that first race with the Red Bull he was also very smart and how he was managing the battery as he was under pressure from Raikkonen in the last phase of the race um he's just got I think being quick being so naturally quick comes so easily to him that he just has that spare capacity that he's able to think through what he needs to do um and in in terms of racecraft the actual wheel to wheel stuff he's he's fantastic at he's he's always in the right place um he, he always knows where to be on the track it's just instinct um that that part of his game i would say the 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 wheel to wheel stuff i think he's Maybe I'm mean, I'm sort of hesitating to say it, but I think he's maybe even better than Lewis at that. He's got a little bit of the the kind of early era Lewis Hamilton, should we say, the uh, that ability to nail those brilliant moves under braking. That's actually an area that we haven't. Lewis hasn't had to to do that so often in recent years. He has pulled off some key passes. Thinking 2018 in particular, there are a few moments when there were some key passes in races, Russia, Monza, for example, but. Yeah, Verstappen's had a bit more cause to do this, and I guess because he's often been in a car that was stronger on Sunday than it was on Saturday as well, he is generally kind of coming through. But I don't, I don't think it's a big call to say that he's potentially, he could potentially be stronger than Lewis on that. We just haven't really had the chance to compare, uh, compare like for like with that. One of the things that I find really interesting with when Max has to go wheel to wheel with someone is it's almost like he's he's late he's done the groundwork hasn't he in terms of establishing his reputation to the point where I think some of the moves he he puts on people he he does ask a bit of the person he's overtaking to to give him some room but it's almost that like that ferocity of reputation means that when someone has Verstappen behind him they know that if he does make a move they're going to have to move move out of the way. You, you said, Ed, when you said he sort of risked becoming a high-class Maldonado, I seem to remember there being quite a few occasions with Pasta where he would just, he'd put his, he'd be on the wrong side of that line. He would put his car in pl- a place where you need the, the, the opponent to give you a massive amount of room or to basically go above and beyond to get out of your way. I don't really feel that Verstappen does that. I feel that he basically just... I don't think he really puts himself in a position where the other guy has to move or they crash. It's more just that it's that perfect blend of of precision and aggression. Yeah, and I think he's he's eased up on the the thing he did a bit earlier in his career. He was guilty a bit too much of moving around in braking zones, which he shouldn't really have done. And we did see, for example, that that famous thing with Kimi Räikkönen on the Camel Straight at, at Spa when he kind of moved across on him. But also that kind of willingness to push it to the edge in a in a title fight that that can be quite important at times you just need to know uh when to to deploy it but he's he's never been overawed by who he's racing with you think right the way back to that first season in 2015 some very strong race drives but was he uh austin i remember he had a he had a, a, a really strong performance and i think in the if memory serves in a damp diced with some of the big guns and you know he's 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 somebody who when it comes to a race 
I think some drivers you look at and think they don't ne- they're not necessarily 100% convinced that they belong in this company. Whereas I think Verstappen, from the first moment he sat in a Grand Prix car, he didn't feel any of that. I think he felt, yeah, I, be- I belong here because I've been prepared for this for, for my whole life. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. He's just, um, he's, he's born into racing and then this is just, just a different form of racing from that that he did before he got to F1. I don't think he's overawed by the fact that it's F1. I don't think he's ever been starry-eyed about that. You know, he's, he's brought up his dad was an F1 driver, so it's not a big thing for him, I think. And that's that's part of that. Um, it, it's part just confidence in his ability, but it, it's it's also part, this is, this is the world I've always been in. And we see it as well in what he's doing at the moment with um, all the esports events that he's part of. We know that he's an avid sim racer. You know, all he wants to do when he's not racing an F1 car is race a car in some form. And if that's virtual, then then he gets behind it. And he did a race, uh, an online event a couple of days ago that I, I caught a little bit of. And it was a, it was a lobby filled with professional drivers um, and experienced iRacing I competitors. So this was about as good a lobby of pro drivers as you can get in GT machinery around Barcelona, the full Grand Prix circuit. And everyone's basically within a few tenths of a second, except for Max, who's on pole by half a second. <laughs> it's like even in even in virtual form, the guy's just uh, just on a, on another level to most competitors. Yeah, I think he lives and breathes racing. I think the the influence of his of his, of his father Jos is an important one. I think we'll probably come back to him a bit later on, but it's good to uh, yeah get a mention of his influence in in early. Let's move on from racecraft, which I think probably you can argue is perhaps the absolute strongest part of a very strong all-round game. Let's go on to technical ability, Mark. Now, so this is this is talking about how he contributes evolution of a setup, feedback, the way he works uh, works with the team on on that side and the engineers. Um, I guess everyone will have heard his onboard radio. He's often complaining about power delivery and this kind of thing. So we know he's a, he's a sensitive driver, isn't he? He's not just sort of one of those guys who gets in the car, does a lap time, and kind of doesn't know how it how it, how he's doing it, is he? Yeah, that's right. He, he's he's got um, a really clear-headed understanding of the dynamics the dynamics of driving, and you can hear this from his explanations afterwards when he's describing something that's happened during the race. And I think that clear-headedness extends to his understanding of the car's dynamics. It's all part of the same thing. And you hear his communication with his race engineer, Jim Piero Lambiesi, um, the responses to the questions are always very simple and concise. There's no messing about. And I think they, they work very well together, those two. They're very, they're very similar in how they communicate. So I think this natural feel for the dynamics of speed combined with that easy, unforced communication is great for an engineer. And the engineer understands the dynamics, but the driver feels them. And if you get that balanced, which I think they have, you go fast, you know, consistently, relentlessly fast. The interaction between Max and his engineer is 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 phenomenal. They've got such it's it's that that relationship is right up there with Hamilton and Bono Bono at uh, Mercedes, where you've got the understanding of what um, what a driver means when he says certain things, and also the ability to tell him off as well. I don't think that can be understated because it's very easy to look at drivers like Verstappen and and Hamilton and think, oh, they need they all they do is they just get you know smoke blown up their backside and told how great they are and, and all of this. But actually, sometimes when the going gets tough and they need to focus, they're venting quite a lot over the radio or they're moaning about something in particular. And every now and again, you just hear Max get told, all right, mate, just shut up and get on with it. 
and that I think is is really valuable. It shows that it shows that there is that that long standing connection and and respect there. And I know from speaking to the Honda the Honda guys as well that um, from an engine technical point of view, the the feedback that they get they absolutely they absolutely love what Max is telling them because it's so specific and precise. But it's also uh, it's something that they can then apply to what they're doing trackside and what they're doing back at, at Sakura. Honda absolutely love Max. It's not just because he's a, a top driver, a quick driver, or got them a podium and wins last year. It's because he is genuinely facilitating better development from the engine side. I think in that regard, he's the sort of sensitivity, sensitivity in the feedback is a bit like what someone like Kimi Raikkonen offers. But what Verstappen offers on top of that is a slightly broader operating window, should we say, because he's quite an adaptable driver. Yeah, he, he's got a way he wants it to be. And we'll often hear him complain about power delivery or particularly in the runner area, kind of the, the performance of the car under braking, because that was an area where they really struggled with with the, with the Renault engine to kind of optimise everything, and get it get it consistent. But at the same time, you know when he's complaining about those things, he's not letting it inhibit him uh, in the in the same way. It's interesting the whole thing about the, the dynamic you mentioned, Scott, with. Uh, uh, with with the pit wall, it's actually slightly reminiscent of what Red Bull achieved with Vettel and and Rocky as race engineer Guillaume Rocolin, which I think has never been matched by what Vettel's had at Ferrari, where I feel he's been kind of not kept in that window. He's allowed, been allowed to kind of run, let the emotions run away with him. Whereas at, at Red Bull, Vettel was always very well under control, and the pit wall was able to, and Rocky was able to kind of keep him in that in that focus. So I think we should probably not underestimate Red Bull's capacity there as well to to kind of understand how to how to operate their their drive as well. Perhaps something that Ferrari could uh, learn from. Do you think that's a fair comparison, Mark? Yeah, absolutely I do. I think um Seb's been sort of left to find his own way at Ferrari and yeah, they they, they plug somebody in to fulfill the role. Um but it it's not um it it, it seems almost as if it's just, it could be anyone. It's like a, a light bulb, and it's a, the, the, there's no real um, effort being made to build up uh, that that rapport. Um, so, yeah, it, it's 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 absolutely one of the the the, the, the crucial points of, of a, a, a driver's career is to find that connection uh, with with his race engineer. And perhaps that indicates, uh, I think Verstappen's good at building that himself because he had a very good re- uh, relationship with Chevy Pujolar uh, when he was at Toro Rosso as his race engineer, Chevy now at uh, Alfa Romeo, isn't he? Um, but I feel like almost Vettel needs that relationship to be built in his direction. It's kind of a little bit more on the race engineer side to do it, whereas I think Verstappen's better at driving that and and building those uh, connections, which is so important because it's all, so much when we talk about technical ability, it's about communication and understanding, isn't it? You want to know what a driver means when they're saying something and you want the driver not to kind of go beyond their brief, shall we say, because the, the driver does not engineer the car. So you want the driver to give, and Gary Anderson always says this, you want the driver to give clear, understandable feedback, not just kind of jump several phases and straight away say, oh, I think we need to do this to fix this because the engineer needs that that kind of feedback from the driver who, of course, for all the data in the world, the driver is the sort of central point through which every part of that that Grand Prix car machine is felt so the driver does still have a big part to play in terms of uh, of in- interpreting that. Yeah, indeed, that's it's, it's all about wh- what the driver feels. Um, so it's 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 all very well if the uh, numbers say one thing, but if the driver is not feeling it, it, it doesn't really count for anything. And if the driver is able to communicate clearly what he wants, then you know that 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 takes you automatically in the the direction you need to go to go quicker. I think Max has benefited from that sort of elevated 
number one status within Red Bull. You mentioned Ed um, before that the the progress that we saw Max make alongside Ricardo was obviously very significant, and I think in many ways there are, there are a few better drivers to have when you're a young driver than someone like Ricardo because he's he's not only is he damn good on track, but he's very good at put, get, building that team around him. And one of the things that I think Max has done really well over the last 12 to 18 months has been turning that reputation as sort of Red Bull's golden boy because he's really quick. He's obviously the future of the team if he stays there. And it's almost like this assumed authority and responsibility within the team. But that actually means nothing if you don't behave in the correct way. If you just basically throw your weight around and just like, well, you know, I'm the only reason you guys are winning races, then people, just because you're revered because of your talent doesn't mean that you're respected as an individual or liked as an individual. But I like I, the way I see Max interact with his engineers and with the Honda side of the garage and the Red Bull side of the garage, coupled with the extra responsibility he has to lead the team in terms of development and feedback. Because last year, we already knew last year that Pierre Gasly wasn't going to be quite on that level. And then as Pierre started to struggle through the year and then eventually was replaced by Albon, who was a full F1 rookie. So the emphasis is placed more and more on Max being the one leading that feedback. And I think he's properly lent into that. I think he's embraced it. it. He's enjoying the confidence boost that you get when you're the one being asked all of the questions and it's your feedback that's being taken on board to dial in on, on setups and the way to go. So I think that has not only brought out the best in Max, I think Max has also sort of put something back into it. Yeah, and I think also Max has got he's he's got a good level of intelligence as well, which maybe doesn't always get talked about as as much as it as it should do. And certainly, particularly when it comes to kind of racing intelligence, because he's he's pretty much been in uh, race cars slash carts pretty much from being in the womb, really, isn't he? And of course, we should say actually on that level, you know, he's he's basically the he is bred from two very good racing drivers as well. Uh, so. Um, I think he's kind of that builds that kind of intuitive understanding because you know you've got to be a bit careful with phrases like intuitive but I think there's so much of that that understanding of what a car's doing how that relates to the mechanical side etc that's just been kind of hardwired into him through that really early experience of when you're you know when you're you're doing all that early karting etc that I think it comes so naturally whereas I think some other drivers who maybe aren't exposed to that need quite so early don't kind of take all that and sort of pack it down into their subconscious so they have to kind of make all the connections between what the car's doing a little bit more a little bit more consciously whereas I think Max you can put in a car he feels it understands it and can digest that and uh, propel it back at the at the team very well uh, well let's take a, a brief break and then we'll be back for more on Max Verstappen well welcome back we're going to continue with our odyssey through the qualities of Max Verstappen next up the category is mental strength now Scott Critical factor for any elite sports person is the, the kind of mental strength. This covers confidence, ability to recover from mistake, that that whole mental robustness that the the great performers have. Do you, do you think that twenty two Verstappen has that that temperament and that mental strength to uh, to do it at the very top level week in week out? I think he's. I think he's getting there. I think he's definitely a lot more well rounded than he was twelve months ago, and definitely more than he was two years ago. So you see. You see, as he gains more maturity in, in, in life, I think that is translating into just a little bit more maturity um, in, in his racing game. We still see the odd moment of sort of um, arrogance or petulance or just immaturity, whatever you want to call it. Mexico last year, when he um, when he obviously uh, got himself into hot water after qualifying because uh, Bottas had crashed ahead of him 
um, and he had seen Bottas shunt, but kept his foot in through the last corner. And he improved, I think he improved his lap time, but he didn't need to because he would have been on pole anyway. Um, but he said afterwards, he, he was asked a lot of questions about it in the press conference, understandably. Um, and even though there was a video emerged of him going past a yellow flag panel, uh, just as he goes into the, the final corner. But you can clearly see in the footage, his head is turned completely to the right, basically looking through the corner, not looking at the at the light. And he said in this press conference that he, uh, he, he said that he'd noticed that Bottas had crashed, but he didn't react to it. At no point did he say he had seen the yellow flag and ignored it. But what then followed was he, he was fundamentally, he was in the right. But what followed was just this inability to really understand why he was being asked the questions he was being asked and just getting, you could see he was getting a bit ticked off that he kept being asked about it. And his answers just got sort of less and less mature. And he he was digging his own grave almost because he was basically creating this image that he was being irresponsible when he actually hadn't been irresponsible. And it was almost like this us against the world mentality that him and his dad have had since karting sometimes that comes through in a negative way because he feels like he's being ganged up on and he feels that he acts a little bit like if you're not on my side then that must mean you're against me and sometimes that doesn't work in his favor by and large I think he's become much much better at keeping his emotions in check and channeling channeling them in a way that brings out the best in him like in Austria last year when he turned the frustration of botching the start into an incredible charge through the field and late pass on Leclerc for, for victory but sometimes it does manifest itself in a negative way yeah there's there's very occasionally moments in races where you feel if he's a little bit kind of behind where he feels he should be, sometimes that that can cause problems. Spa's a good example last year where he didn't get a great getaway and then he he launched that move on Raikkonen at, at La Source, which was a, a legitimate move, but it was not the percentage play. And ultimately that led to contact that uh, ended his race. Uh, so, I mean, that that's, that's sort of still being hypercritical. I think in most situations... He's he's pretty strong in this. It's more the it's more the outlier situations where sometimes that little bit can break through. But I think this aspect of his game is only going to get stronger because he is still only twenty two. So you know, Lewis Hamilton was twenty two when he made his F one debut. This is going into twenty twenty. Will be what uh, Verstappen's. Yeah, this will still this will be his sixth season twenty twenty when it finally uh, finally gets going. What, what do you think about this, uh, Mark? Would you say there's still a little bit of room for improvement, or, or do you think he's there? Yes, but if we're talking about core strength, the core um, belief in yourself and the ability to just bounce back from um, defeat and and difficulties, he's obviously exceptionally strong. And that, through the the long term of his career, that's going to be the the important bit. The the pieces that you, you both talked about where um, the, the petulance comes out because he refuses to you know back down yeah I think that is just maturity um, and it is it, it's less frequent now than than it was um, and he's he's still a little bit um, that the, there is a little bit of he can react emotionally to a situation um, but I wouldn't say he's as extreme in that regard as somebody like Sebastian Vettel, who's not a youngster. Um, so you you might still see that trait 
in flashpoints now and again, uh, just as you, you do with Seb. But I think the core strength, the core belief, um, is as great as um, Hamilton's in himself. You know, it, it's it's. Um, I think it's a it's a, it strikes me as a, a a greater core belief than say Seb has in in himself. Um, I think sometimes Seb seems to doubt that he, he should be um, at the level that he's at. Um, other times when when he's got himself into a, a confidence cycle, when, I mean, talking about Seb here rather than Max, but it, it's just to illustrate the contrast. Um, he, he soars, but then you you can quite often see in Seb um, uh, a, a sort of up and down in performance, what I'm sure is is related to his confidence. Um, we, you don't see that with Max. Max is always, regardless of whether things are going well with him or, or badly for him, his level of personal performance is always is right at the top. Yeah, I think you can kind of, that, 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 that contrast is quite meaningful because I think sometimes with Vettel, you'll see him kind of try to flat out deny that he, to sort of play down the fact he's made a mistake and he'll he'll kind of try and play the part of the guy who's got the sort of superhuman self-confidence nature but you're not totally convinced by it it's like he's trying to force himself to be that whereas Verstappen just feel no matter what you throw at him he he knows how how good he is in that regard that that makes uh, Verstappen a bit more of the the kind of extreme sports person doesn't it that's just got that absolutely rock solid self-belief whereas whereas perhaps Vettel doesn't quite have that in the in the same way perhaps because he's a more almost a more normal human being, should we, uh, should we say. But we're talking about extraordinary performers at, at this level. That's what makes a difference. I, I do think that 2018 run of races, when he had those mistakes, you know, Australia was a bit scrappy and made mistakes there. China, he went off trying to pass Hamilton in a race that he could have won that then Ricardo went on to win. The Azerbaijan collision with, uh, with Ricardo, the Monaco crash. I think he came out of that period stronger i think as you alluded to earlier scott he realized that actually he's quick enough that he doesn't need to be at 10 tenths or 11 tenths all the time certainly doesn't need to be at 10 tenths in fp3 uh monaco um and i think that's that's probably allowed him to stop kind of reaching for things too often and i think that's pro- that experience probably made him a stronger driver and we see a lot of drivers go through this we saw vettel had his, his phase of mistakes i mean that he did then get on top of with in the red bull domination years but then since have, have come back for whatever for whatever reason lewis hamilton had a few shaky moments after his initial brilliant start he, he had some 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 mistakes and difficult times so we often see this with drivers don't they? they have to go through a little spell where they kind of tune themselves and uh, and get everything together mentally yeah lewis lewis had it for most of 2011 didn't he i mean he had stuff going on in the background in his life but again it was the same sort of process this sort of annealing of the stresses that you are placed under as a, a formula one driver in a top team and it all comes down to how you respond to it ultimately you mentioned there that he did really get on top of it after that start in 2018 but he was also slightly petulant through that process how many times was he asked if he needed to sort of change his approach or the way he was viewing things and he got he got really irate at that and I think it was in Canada he, he threatened to like headbutt or punch someone it was a joke wasn't it but it was one that was laced with a bit of with the real world frustration of being asked these questions all the time um, but then by the end of the year he admitted that he had changed his approach he said that he'd spoken to Yoss and you know they he'd been reminded that he didn't need to, to, to be on the limit all of the time and, you know, you're quick enough. And um, that tallied with what we saw from that change almost immediately from Canada onwards. And I think Canada 2018, he didn't have his... Um, was Canada 2018 when he didn't have his sort of entourage with him? 
Um, and he was just sort of, he doesn't, he, he's not always swamped by, by family and, and, and friends, but it's just that another little example of sort of, as he's got developed through his careers, becoming that sort of self-sufficient person and becoming dependable on, on yourself. And we haven't seen him. Okay. He's had a few moments, but he definitely hasn't lapsed back into that early 2018 spec for Stappen, who, who, who definitely would not be able to fight for a title now. And there was a little bit in that process of uh, Red Bull making sure that Max was standing on his own two feet and slightly distancing himself from from Jos, shall we, shall we say? Not completely. That's it's not that some people have represented it that way, but it's it's not that's not the case. But it's often what you see with a young driver, don't you? You need to see this kind of transition from where whoever's behind them. Very often, it's it's it it's the father, but not always. They'll have kind of that entourage around them. They kind of have to transition as they uh, once they get to the top level. And they kind of get a little bit more advanced in life into having their own kind of uh, setup, shall we say? So I think that's probably helped make Max a bit more self-sufficient and uh, and know his own know his own mind. So I think the last the, the the next question that will be asked of him is how he performs under a sustained, intense title fight. That's the thing we haven't seen, and I always think of it of at every level in racing you're asked tougher and tougher questions and more and more people kind of get selected out of contention, shall we say. It's, uh, you know, each step you take. And then the last step is that step from kind of race winner to, to title contender where he's got to go from the position he's been in the past few years where he can snipe for the occasional win to the point where he needs to be in contention for wins week in, week out. And there'll be racing situations he'll be confronted with where it's not just a question of, do I get ahead of this guy or does he get ahead of me? It's a question of that plus what does it mean for the championship and that's something we've seen Lewis Hamilton be be very good at uh, in recent years and judging when to fight when not to fight when to look at the bigger picture when to look at the the the, the race picture so I think that's the that's the final test of Verstappen's mental strength but I think he'll I think he'll be equal to that won't he uh well let's let's have a look on the next category teamwork uh Mark we'll start off with you on this now we have touched on this area in the technical ability uh, section. Verstappen's the, he's the main man at Red Bull, isn't he? So we've seen what, what he's like when he's got a team built around him. So how effective is, is he as that, that focal point? And how well do we think he's working in terms of galvanising a team, pulling it together, the, the kind of Michael Schumacher effect of, of being the, the kind of the, the main man at the centre of everything? Yeah, I wouldn't say he's at Schumacher's level at that just yet, but the team does gravitate towards whoever's delivering the performance, and obviously that's been him for the last few years. And so, yes, he, it, 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 it does sort of operate around him, um, but that's not uh, a strategic thing on his part, I don't think. Um, he just goes in there and, and delivers his stuff, and but it. It's his personality that that, that it's helps in that. It's, it's what Scott touched on before. He's, he doesn't have the persona of a, a megastar. He, he's, it goes back to this thing about he, he doesn't live in any other world than the racing world and never has. It's just he's completely immersed in it and has been all his life. So he's been on the inside of teams all his life. You know, he's, 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 he comes from inside. His dad was running teams all of Max's childhood. Max has been right there among it all. So he doesn't have the attitude of megastar that needs to be accommodated. He, he just mucks in. He's part of everything. And like a, a Grand Prix for him is just like a cart race with more spectators. It, it, it's not really a, a big thing. Um, so that, in combination with the magnetism that always follows that raw performance, it makes him a very easy, natural, unstressed focal point. 
And Red Bull is a good enough team that it um, it can you know make full use of that. It, it it's not it's not a team that needs to be led by a driver. It it it, it can lead, but it it it's it's something that very comfortably accommodate each other. They, the, 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 that team and um, that driver very comfortably accommodate each other and, and just have a very natural, unstressed way of working. And I think it says a lot about Max's character and what he's like off track that if you look at the, you know, you look at someone like Sainz and, and Ricardo and, and even Gasly, these are guys that ultimately in one way or another, Max has negatively impacted their careers because Max was Max was the guy from Toro Rosso that Red Bull wanted to back and Sainz eventually sort of, he just, he needed to escape it and, and Ricardo couldn't get on top of Max and okay, he, he had his doubts about Honda and everything and he had uh, he had a, a, f- a few dozen million reasons to to leave for Renault as well, uh, but Max played his part in that, and obviously Gasly couldn't get anywhere near Max and had his big chance blown. So in, in a few ways, Max is the worst teammate you could possibly have in Formula One. But he has a great relationship with all of those guys. You see the way him and Sainz uh, ha- uh, behave around each other, and Ricardo as well, and he 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 has maintained positive personal relationships with these guys off track and I think given what he's done to them on track and what he's sort of done relatively relative career-wise to them it'd be very easy for those guys to resent him and you know have that negative that negative relationship but I don't see any evidence of that really if anything it's the opposite he seems to be the be a very easy person to get off with uh, he seems to be a very easy person to get on with off track but a very difficult person to beat on it (laughs) Yeah, I think science is an interesting comparison because at Toro Rosso, that became very fractious, the two sides of the, the Toro Rosso garage. They, they took all sorts of measures to try and get that a bit more under control. And yet once kind of parted, there's no kind of animosity between Verstappen and, uh, and science, which is, uh, which is impressive. That suggests that Verstappen's focused on the, on the right thing, should we, uh, should we say. And that, that's played a part in him basically becoming the king of Red Bull because he's just so good. And, you know, they, they don't need a, a an equal number one driver because they've got this this standout guy. The problem now is actually finding a number two who's uh, who's close enough. You know, Gasly was just over half a second on average behind Albon, about 0.43 behind in qualifying the second half of last year. So, you know, they need to get a driver who's at the kind of Ricardo level, that level that's sort of within a tenth and a half, two tenths max consistently in order to to, to actually uh, to actually deliver. I think they can do that as well. I mean, maybe Mark's better place to comment on on this particular point that I, I want to raise. But I don't really see any evidence that Max behaves politically within a team. So I can see why you'd want. I can see why you'd want to maybe avoid going toe to toe with him because he might be the the ending of you. But Mark, what what do you think? I mean, obviously the sign stuff was a little bit more controversial, but I don't really see Max as the sort to to play games. But maybe I'm doing him being too much of a defender of him no I think that's right I think that's a fair point Scott I don't think he is political um, I think um, maybe one step removed from him um, Jos can be if, if he feels it's needed but um, and I think maybe there was some of that going on and at Toro Rosso on both sides of the garage but um, he himself no I think he's confident enough in his own ability that he doesn't need to worry about making political moves um, so yeah, I think it's just it. You know, when you when you're trying to go up against somebody like that, it's 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 usually the other side. It's usually the guy that's that missing tenth, tenth and a half that starts to create the problems. Um, and it's that's I think um, what we, what we've seen. 
And, and I don't really think that you can uh, expect to just plug a driver in, in in that other seat and expect them to race in, race out, compete on equal terms with, with Max. It's probably not going to happen. So you probably have to work out a different way of competing with the guy. And if you're only a tenth or so away, like, say, Daniel was uh, or Science was, um, then, yeah, you, th- th- there's probably other elements that come out, but it's, it's, it's not instigated on from Max's side. There is a, a fine line between a kind of top driver making sure the team is fully behind him and all of the things that any driver would have to do in that situation and that kind of point where you go a step too far and it does become political. But I think Max is kind of on the right sort of level. The, the Toro Rosso situation was a was an unusual one, really, a very unique one because you had a you had two kind of offspring of uh, very experienced racing drivers, shall we say, who were both kind of there in the background and it did play a part in uh, across the board in, in the fragmentation. But I don't I don't think we've really seen that in the same way from Red Bull beyond the fact that basically Verstappen's qualities and the fact the team was getting behind him led to Ricardo moving on. But I, that was a problem of Ricardo not being able to beat him, I think, or knowing that it was going to be very, very difficult to that, that led to that uh, that happening. Uh, so I think teamwork, yeah, from what we've seen, yeah, there'll still be probably a little bit more to come. But uh, but yeah, he's 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 working. He he is dependable, and the, the the guys in the garage can really get behind him and know he's the one who who delivers. There is one other thing I want to raise on the subject of teamwork because it was one of the coolest things I heard last year, which was um, when um, I, I've mentioned before that what Max is standing is with Honda. But there was a brilliant story of when they went to one of the mass production facilities in Japan and um, Max had basically like a kilometre long guard of honour uh, from Honda employees. Like they absolutely idolised the guy over there and obviously he is the man who ended their podium drought and then their wind drought um but he's he's getting up there now for that sort of um i i think he might he has the potential to forge one of those iconic relationships with a with a manufacturer if he sticks around with red bull as long as his new contract suggests he will when red bull and honda have a successful partnership i think that could go down as one of the one of the one of the big partnerships in f1 history so in that regard of the partnership with uh, with honda new senna there we go. We've got. We've gone. We've well, gone. he, the, the Honda boss uh, Masashi Yamamoto, told me that he he sees Max as a young Senna. So the comparison, you know, you, you, we we joke, but that is genuinely how he's how he's viewed within Honda. Yeah, and he's a driver in that in that caliber, isn't he? And uh, I'm just surprised we managed to go this long into this podcast before uh, before making that uh, that comparison. Let's move on to experience, Scott. Now, as we said, Verstappen's 22. He's heading into his his sixth season. 102 starts under his. Belt. It's an interesting question, the whole thing of experience, isn't it? Because he's a driver who has been kind of bred, almost literally bred to be a racing driver. And he's had all this experience from Yoss, who was a driver who had a lot of ability and quite a long Grand Prix career. But really, we only saw that ability that Yoss had in very occasional flashes. And and Yoss is very aware of the the failures in his own career, both of the ones he, the mistakes he made and the failure of those around him to give him the right kind of grounding. And so with with Max, we've almost got a driver for whom experience is a very, very different thing to, to everyone else. I don't think there's any driver on the grid who has had that same kind of grounding and training, not even someone like Lewis Hamilton who was under McLaren's wing from a, a relatively young age. No, I think that's correct. And I think the other thing that works in 
Max's favour is if you look at what he did uh, in karting, for example, because obviously karting is where where everyone uh, begins. But I'm pretty sure I think Max started karting when he was sort of when he was four years old, um, and he worked his way through obviously national championships and raced internationally. But when he stepped up to international racing, um, he did the he did the usual uh, he did the usual formula, but he also stepped up into into gearbox karts. Um, which is you know the uh, KZ1 at the time the highest casting category in the world, um, and he's he's won the world championship at the age of 15. And there there are guys in in, in world karting who make professional careers out of it. The guys that go go well into their 20s, 30s. And I remember David Foray, an Italian driver who raced for Tony Kart, which is uh, has close ties with Ferrari now. Uh, he was in his forties and he was still winning, still winning at the very top level. That th- this is the exposure that Max has had from from a very early age, and it, I feel that what he's gone through, the guys that he's gone up against, the level he's performed at, coupled with Yoss basically telling him every mistake there is in the book that can be made, feels that Max has. It's not that he's shortcut the the learning process, but he has it has been fast tracked. It's almost like he's gone through the lessons everybody else goes through at double speed. And he has reached the point at 22 that it might take drivers another four, five, six years to reach. It's interesting the the, the way Yoss, who ran him a a lot in in karting, kind of approached it. I remember doing an interview with Yoss some years ago. I think this is probably before before Max made his uh, his F1 debut. But I remember him talking about an example of when he was younger. He didn't say exactly when it was, but you you could in karting put a little bit of uh, a little bit of oil on the on the clutch to try and get a, a better getaway. And uh, and Yoss said, "Well, we didn't do that because I liked him to kind of come out the first corner in fourth, fifth place with some people to overtake because I wanted him to have the challenge of overtaking." And he kind of talked about that as an example of how that natural ability was always bred for overtaking because he's been doing it for so long. And and I get that imp- the impression that for 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 most kind of karting dads, for want of a better phrase, and I'm using a very broad brush here, it's all about winning isn't it it's all about having the success winning and but i think yos brought that extra dimension of it's not just about winning which max did a huge amount it's about learning as well and and putting yourself through this wide range of challenges and tests that that you that you learn from and i think that's that's really really helped uh, max to to be a, a man beyond his level of experience certainly in terms of in terms of years and you know, people talked about how quickly he got into F1, but he got into F1 that quickly because he was achieving. He moved out of carts probably, I think I think they said a year earlier than it was anticipated because he did uh, he did a year doing the shifters and the KZs and did some KF in Europe as well. And he was just winning everything. So it's like, well, I've completed this, so now we move on and we move into F3. And although he didn't win, in F, win the championship in F3, he had a very, very strong season. And then it's like, well, ready for F1. And and this this is kind of perhaps where the political manifestation did come in, in that Max was hot property and Mercedes wanted him, Ferrari wanted him, Red Bull wanted him, but the Verstappens were able to parlay that into getting a race seat with Toro Rosso in, in 2015 and kind of accelerating his progress. And then they played a part again in, in, in that accelerated step up into the Red Bull Racing A team. So he's had a... I can't think of any other driver who's who's quite had the same education how, how do you read the, the impact of, of that experience mark yeah i mean it's almost like uh, max has been the ultimate experiment of um, what happens when you 
combine nature and nurture in, in the ideal nature and the ideal nurture. Um, so you, he's got the genes of two racing drivers, and uh, you bring them up in a racing world. And he, the the father adopts this guru-like um, place, this, this stance, um, based on his own experiences. So yeah, it, it could hardly be better. Um, but it only works if um, if the guy himself wants it, and he, that's that's what Max has always it shines through the desire he has and the, the 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 way he just is immersed in racing. There isn't there isn't another world for him. Literally, there isn't another world for him. This is all he wants to do. And I was interviewing him once, and I said, you know, it's early in your career, but do you ever think like what you're going to do late in you? What are you going to do when you retire from F1? He said, oh, no, I know exactly what I want to do. I said, go on, tell me. He said, well, what I'd really like to do is I'd like to get my own track and um, I'd like to get a, a, a powerful car, but signal C, not an F1 car, but something close. And uh, I just want to pound around there all day and then look at the data and do a long run and then do short runs. So that's his idea of retirement is to just blast around without any other cars. So it's not really a retirement, but it, you, you, that's, that's how in love with it is, he is. And that's how driven he is to just to extract more and more and more from himself. That's all he wants to do. So, yeah, and I think you, obviously you, you, compared to earlier eras, you're also fast-tracked in terms of experience by... Um, simulation tools that we now have. So, you know, he's 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 been born into that era, so he doesn't know any difference. So the 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 simulation is um, he didn't get say seven thousand kilometer um, testing preparation for his F one debut because of the testing restrictions, but that almost really didn't matter. And so, yeah, I I don't think that you really have ever seen a. Mm, like a, a, a an obvious shortfall of um, information in his data banks that that uh, that has made him do something stupid. It, it, it's just those type of rookie errors you just you haven't really seen from him. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's an important point to say that he clearly wants to do it. We've seen plenty of drivers that uh, that whether it's managers or, or or carting dads to use that phrase again who have, have, have pushed them who haven't necessarily wanted to do it and have kind of fallen by the wayside but yeah Max certainly has that we should say his mother is Sophie Kumpen who is a very very accomplished uh, accomplished carter seriously uh, seriously quick as well so that's the the other side of the the kind of uh, Verstappen breeding program for want of a, a better phrase but I think the interesting thing with Verstappen is I remember his first Grand Prix weekend appearance which was at Suzuka in 2014 he'd already been confirmed for 2015 in Toro Rosso I remember at FP1 going to watch at the uh, the S's, the snake section, early in the early in the lap, and that was the first time I think I'd actually seen him race, uh, him driving in person uh, from trackside. And I remember straight away you could see how he was applying his experience. He wasn't just going out and trying to kind of rag a lap out of it each time he was changing his approach to the corners the way he was doing it sometimes a little bit more aggressive sometimes a bit more conservative changing the way he he braked changing the way he was trying to rotate the car and then when he went out for his uh for his second run on the second set of tires you could see he kind of narrowed that window and 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 learned and i remember being really impressed with uh with what he did there just watching in that that one uh 90 minute session and sort of straight away you could see this was a driver who's better prepared for f1 than a lot because some drivers never get past that uh, that phase of just trying to go as quick as they can pretty much whenever they get the opportunity and some drivers 
you know, the, the, the joke that you get with engineers is to say, well, sometimes he's quick, but the problem is he doesn't know why, so he can't do it regularly. And I feel Verstappen's got that understanding, which is what elevates. I mean, that, Scott, is, is what kind of elevates these great drivers, isn't it? They have, they're not just fundamentally quick, but they've got everything, the determination, the intelligence, the experience, and that, that capacity to tie everything together. Yeah, and if you look at, um, let's let's take Hamilton as a as an example. Uh, he's a driver who, when he was up against Rosberg, for example, he he would always Lewis was always the one that was presented as the one that wasn't intelligent of the two, because Rosberg was sort of the cerebral driver and worked in different ways and explored every possible avenue to try and get on Hamilton's. Uh, level Hamilton was the natural talent and Rosberg was the thinker who used his intelligence to get there but that which was was I guess true in 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 relative terms but it also created this it helped create this image that Hamilton maybe wasn't particularly bright and you know Lewis might not be quite as much of a, a cerebral driver as someone like Rosberg or Button but he still is able to pull together all sorts of different strands of information to get the best out of himself and to to find ways to improve and I think that's that's where, where Verstappen is I don't think Verstappen's not a an, a, an Oliver Turvey or an Alexander Sims is he someone with um, with that sort of level of uh, education or intelligence that makes you think oh if he wasn't a racing driver I can see him being an engineer or something like that but Max is just someone as as Marx said a few times the only world he operates in is racing so in a in a race from a racing point of view I think if there's something Max needs to know to be better at driving that Max will know it or he will go out of his way to to learn it because he knows the value of it I think it's a question of um of that kind of realization that you have to leave no stone unturned it's not less i think i think about being a cerebral driver or, or not is less about intelligence fundamentally more about it's about approach isn't it and recognizing you've got to kind of do everything to kind of put yourself in a strong position actually i think i think hamilton certainly in recent years 100 percent has got on board with that which is what's made him even more uh formidable um and, and i think again that's that's probably one of the things that that yoss was able to to really put into Max's mind from early on that you've kind of got to do everything you've got to have this uh, this interest in in maximizing everything which is probably why what what you said Mark about him wanting just to get get a close to F1 car and just drive about and uh, and uh, do your long runs and really kind of understand the car properly why why that's been hardwired into him and how much that will uh, that will stand him in uh, in good stead uh, should we move on to our last section which is less a comparison or uh, an explanation of uh, a specific facet but more a kind of uh, thought experiment should we say we're going to start you off with this uh, mark so let's say when 2020 gets going max verstappen and lewis hamilton have cars with identical performance in all areas which obviously won't happen but completely identical performance profile of, of the cars kind of equal opportunity what do we think happens in that title fight that's just like the dream scenario isn't it that would be the most fantastic thing um I think they'd stretch each other out so tight in qualifying. It would be all but equal between them on that score. Um, you know, sometimes one, sometimes the other, just depending on how the cards fell. Um, in the races, I think Max would be more combative, uh, more prepared to go for the ambush. Um, we've we've seen him pull ambushes on Ham Hamilton before. I think it was one of Sepang very early in the race when Hamilton was chasing the championship. Max, obviously 
you know, banked on that and just, just pulled out the most outrageous outbreaking maneuver on him that required Hamilton's cooperation. And Hamilton, you could see him fighting with himself to, you know, do I just stop that and chop across him or, or do I play the longer game? And it, he really had to struggle there. But Max will do that ambush. Uh, and I... Mm, could Hamilton do the same on Max? He's, I'd, I think he'd be more circumspect. He, ha, Hamilton's already admitted he doesn't quite know how to deal with with, with Max wheel to wheel. He's not he's not quite sure what he's going to do next. He's he's got in he's got into Lewis's head there. He's probably the only the guy that has really. Um, so I think he would be more circumspect. Um, he'd be able he'd be able to pull the ambush move when you know, the opportunity arose, but he, he wouldn't default to it, whereas I feel that wheel-to-wheel -wheel Max would. Um, I'd, there'd be other times when I think Lewis would use Max's audacity to tempt him into error, like China, I think it was 2018, when the safety card reset everything and the Red Bulls were on the new tyres and uh, Hamilton was on old tyres but leading. Uh, as he... There was easily enough laps left that Max was obviously going to pass Lewis. Um, but Lewis tempted him into doing it at a place where it wasn't feasible. He just left a little bit a little bit of a, a tempting gap around the outside of a fast corner and then just edged him out. And that lost him the race and paved the way for Ricciardo to win. But I think you would see that sort of thing between them more often if they were able to just you know, be in a race of their own every weekend. Um, but assuming equal reliability as well as performance, I think Hamilton would just edge the title because of that. Yeah, you you almost feel that there might have to be a line in the sand moment in a battle between them where uh, where Hamilton doesn't uh, doesn't see. So I, I can see there there might be a, a big flashpoint that would uh, would occur. I almost feel like in the first season of, of this thought experiment, with all things being equal, Hamilton would prevail. But then you'd feel that Verstappen would kind of be ever more battle-hardened by the experience of that title fight. Often drivers benefit from having a kind of a failed title bid before they have a successful one. That's not always the case. Um, someone like Ayrton Senna won on his first serious title shot in 88 with, with McLaren, and Verstappen's perfectly capable of doing that. But I just wonder whether we're at the point now where you've got two drivers who, if you want to put it down to kind of the... The, the sort of pure ability are on a fairly similar level, but Hamilton's just got that experience and that broad view and just he's such a well-rounded, complete driver, still at his peak and probably still finding those little fractional percentage of improvements before inevitably he'll go into a decline. Everyone does. That's that's unavoidable. He won't still be doing this at 60, will he? Um, and, and so I wonder if there's that, we kind of see a crossover point at some, at some stage. How do you see it, Scott? Well, I'd like to think that someone's going to beat Lewis before he turns 60. I hope we don't have to wait that long before someone else finally wins the title. I'm, I'm not. I'm not completely <laughs> ruling it out. He's uh, he's he's quite quite the force of nature, Lewis Hamilton. No, he is. But I do think with Max and Lewis, we've got a little bit of an F1 equivalent of unstoppable force meeting immovable object, haven't we? Uh, I think if anyone is going to topple Lewis while Lewis is at the top of his game, I think it will be Max. But I I do take your point, Ed. I think there is a bit of sense and logic in the prospect of Max and Lewis going wheel to wheel this year if we do go racing again, which hopefully we will. And Lewis just having enough of, you know, tricks up his sleeve and and everything to, to, to combat it, to repel the attack. And then I think Max basically absorbs that information because as we've already talked about, he is the world's greatest F1 sponge. And then I think he comes back with uh, with a few of Lewis's tricks 
uh, it added to his own arsenal, takes that from the start of the 20, 2021 season. Um, because let's face it, because of the carryover now in chassis, if Red Bull hasn't missed a trick, Max has a bonus season now before the rules change and maybe the entire order's mixed up. So we've we've got, I, I think he's got two shots at it before the rules change. And I would be, I would be really surprised if Max doesn't now go into the new rules in 2020 with at least one world title under his belt. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's very very possible. It, it's just really it's just fantastic, isn't it? When you get these, I, I call them generational battles. When you have the kind of established master of a specific time, and then the the up and comer. And sometimes we've been denied these battles by uh, drivers retiring or or other misfortunes. You know, we never quite saw Jim Clark go up against Jackie Stewart, for example. Uh, and Senna Michael Schumacher was a battle we only sort of briefly saw. We never saw a full title battle play out between them because of uh, because of the loss of uh, Senna in '94. But that's why it's just so tantalising, isn't it, Mark? You've got I, I'm sure. Well, we know Lewis Hamilton's going to go down, go down as one of the the absolute all time greats. He's already done enough to to do that, no matter what happens uh, from here for him. And Max Verstappen, I'm sure when he retires, he's going to be an all time great with multiple championships. You know, it's impossible to say what go on, but you know, Lewis Hamilton could equal or even break Michael Schumacher's titles record, but. You know, with a fair wind, it's not totally impossible that someone like Max Verstappen down the line, you know, in 15 years' time, could be in a similar position to be on the same number of uh, titles. So we've got two incredible talents here. That this battle would be, if it lasts a few seasons, could be one for the ages, couldn't it? Yeah, that's right. The the, the generational turns that when you have uh, you know the pretender of obvious um, similar potential, yeah, they are the you know the, the generational turns and ultimately it always ends up in favor of the younger driver but that doesn't mean to say that it happens now it it, it may happen two three four years down the line um and it's just yeah, it's just how just how nature works you know it's it's the like i think we've talked about it in the past the you know the 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 lion pride of the pact uh, who who's who's in charge you know you're the the, the king will be um, challenged maybe a few times and um, the king will sort of bottom down the pretender, but eventually enough challenges and the the, the pretender will um, prevail. And that's what we're going to see, but we don't know over what timescale. Yeah, let's just hope that we do get the, the two of them in, in good enough cars to, to have that battle. And then, of course, you've got drivers like Charles Leclerc who could get into the, the mix as well, who's a driver who's sort of still catching up to the level of those two but as he showed last season is is very very good so I think overall we've we've taken a good look at Verstappen and and kind of explained why he's so good sometimes people like to sort of play down this before they see a driver consistently win but the fact is you know he's never had the car to consistently win in and he's won what eight races in machinery where it's it's quite tricky to win so you know that says a lot about where Verstappen's at and only 22 you know, he could he could be doing this in another. Well, he will be doing this probably for another fifteen years, maybe even more than that. Which is just uh, it's terrifying if you're an up and coming driver wanting to get into F1 in the coming years that you're going to come up against uh, uh, Max Verstappen. So uh, thanks very much, Scott Mitchell and Mark Hughes. We're going to finish up now and then get back to spending our time in uh, in isolation, just hoping for this uh, this battle between those uh, those two drivers and maybe a bit of Leclerc thrown in as well. Uh, do check out therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. There's, there's stuff written by all of us on there about all sorts of topics. We're, we're finding no lack of things to, to write about. And certainly our, uh, our time in confinement has been uh, taken up with doing all sorts of uh, interesting bits and pieces. So have a look there. Check out our YouTube channel. And of course, 
subscribe to this podcast and we've got various other podcasts the gary anderson f1 show is out weekly that's another one there's a formula e podcast a MotoGP podcast so there's loads to keep you occupied in this time of no motorsports uh, but the podcast will continue we'll be back with another episode of the race f1 podcast uh, very soon If I'm walking the dog and see a nice little mud path with the right sequence of corners in it, I think, oh, I'd love the chopper down here. Chopper would be fantastic around this corner. Still now.